You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Well, we're getting ready for a Mexico missions trip. If you want to explore being a part of that trip, join my wife and I uh, right after this service. We're going to have a uh, some uh, hamburgers and hot dogs and whatnot, and then we can grab our food and then come on in here and hang out. Um, but, you know, I mean, y- y- you can go on this trip. You totally can. And uh, it's just south of uh, the border there. Uh, the border is open. There's thousands and thousands of families and folks that are going down and doing vacations on the beach. And uh, it's a great time for the church to go do some mission. Uh, there's very little mission activity going on uh, just south of the border right now. A lot of the organizations that typically are working with the impoverished uh, community there, they, they have great need. And so this organization's been working really hard to help select some really wonderful families, um, and we get to work together. My daughter, is uh, she, this will be her third mission trip, and she's nine and uh, gone down, has gone there. This will be the third house that my daughter has been able to help be a part of the home build. So kids can come, families can come. It's a great ministry, great mission uh, trip to be a part of. So I want to encourage you to do that. It's during the uh, spring break season for Deer Valley Unified School District. If, you're, if finances is a barrier, um, we've got folks in our church that will probably pay for your whole trip. So we had a number of folks say, we can't go, but we want to scholarship somebody that has a legitimate need and can't afford to go. So if finances is the barrier, don't worry, uh, we'll get it covered. Um, the rest of you that uh, maybe for one reason or another can't go and you want to scholarship that, you can. You just write the check to North Valley uh, uh, Hope Offering. It's there on the envelopes. And then you can just uh, put a memo, uh, Mexico missions and uh, scholarship or whatever, and just let me know or just put it in there. We'll figure it out. But we'll make sure that everybody uh, gets the opportunity to go. So we want to encourage you to be a part of that. So it's a great time in, in, a, in American culture right now to really challenge the church to kind of go to the next level. Uh, and so we're going to see that today and to really live out our faith. And so it doesn't matter if you're 15 or 50 plus. Yeah, there's a role for you as a Christian. And so it's very, very important in this time frame in American history for, for the church to shine. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so we have a great responsibility and it's a great privilege too. So um, I want to encourage you to join us. If you just want to find out more information, hang out with us after service, grab a burger, hot dog, and then come on into the, to the uh, chapel here and we'll get going. So let me pray for us, uh, pray for these mission efforts that we're going to make, and then, uh, and then we'll jump into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the mission uh, efforts that are, are taking place down in Mexico even now, where families are being selected, conversations are being had perhaps even today uh, with a husband and a wife, uh, uh, some kiddos that are going to get a new home, Lord. Because it, maybe their home was burned down, or maybe they're living in a shack right now that, uh, where there's, there's just no good, adequate shelter. Lord, we thank you for um, the, the men and the women, uh, the kids and the youth that will be on this trip to help share and show the love of Jesus Christ, and to challenge us, Lord, to, to live beyond our comfort zone. So we pray, God, would you use our church in the midst of a trying times to do something great again? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, we're in the book of Obadiah. It's the shortest book of the Old Testament. Um, Obadiah is a prophet, and uh, he is writing to uh, a, the nation of, of Edom to bring about and to pronounce judgment on God's behalf to warn them of uh, this is a nation that has turned away from God. And there's a lesson for our nation, the United States of America, our great nation. It reminds me that every nation... Uh, is responsible, in a sense, to respond and, and react to God's purposes and God's plans, specifically the believers in that nation. And today's message is Obadiah is this prophet, and he's speaking to this nation some 500 plus years before the birth of Jesus Christ. They are awaiting a Messiah. You and I, we have the Messiah. His name is Jesus, and he is king, and our nation is messed up a bit, right? It feels not like the United States of America, but it feels like the divided states of America. And so we're waiting for King Jesus, but in the meantime, we've got to live in such a way that we're servants to our King Jesus. And so uh, Obadiah, if you need to go to the table of contents, it's a tricky little book to find because it's only one page. And uh, go there, and then I'm using the English Standard Version translation, but we're going to look at the shortest book of the Bible, the Old Testament, probably written um, right after Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. So if you know any of the history of, uh, uh, of the uh, Christian faith, you know that Jerusalem has a very important role in it and uh, in our Judaism as well. And Babylon destroys Jerusalem, 586 BC. Our history books tell us that. Our Bible um, tells us that. And so during this time, there's the people of Edom. Everybody say Edom. Edom. And they are, since they're the people of Edom, they're called the Edi, Edi, Edomites. And they probably got some mosquito bites. And uh, then you have the Israelites, so a lot of ites. And as a preacher, you got to play on the ites, you know. Um, but th they are, the Edomites are the folks that are basically uh, taking advantage of the Israelites. Israel uh, was in Jerusalem. Um, they're the uh, God's chosen people, as you know, uh, the Jewish people. They're awaiting the Messiah. Uh, Babylon comes in, smashes Jerusalem. The Edomites are distant cousins, if you will to the Israelites. The Edomites are the bad guys. The Israelites are the good guys. Obadiah is speaking into this issue. And uh, he's a prophet and he's going to be speaking into it. But the Edomites, their founder was a guy by the name of Esau. You might recall uh, Jacob and Esau, two brothers. Well, let me just paint a picture for Esau. Esau would have been like the, the man on Outdoors magazine like the sportsman of the year. He's a hunter. He's a gatherer. He's a tough guy, muscular, strong, and is known for his hunting skills. Uh, his brother, uh, Jacob, uh, his little brother at that, literally would not be on the front cover of Outdoorsman Magazine or Hunter Magazine. He would be on the Food Network channel. Uh, he hung out with mom in the kitchen. He liked to cook, probably mentored by Rachel Ray. I mean, this guy is just a good cook in the kitchen. And God's blessing uh, comes to build a nation, the nation of Israel, through Jacob's line, the Food Network guy, not Esau's line. And so, um, you know, and you've probably heard Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And so are you. 
So let's just praise the Lord. So you've heard that. You guys want to keep going. So I'm not your person to lead you in that. Joshua's going to lead a worship song after this, this message <laughs> called Father Abraham. <laughs> Boy, that would make for a memory, right? So um, anyway, so they, they are literally, there's these two brothers that the Edom or Esau is the founder of Edom. And then there's the brother uh, Jacob, the founder of uh, uh, Israel, which is uh, two different nations. It's very interesting in uh, world history, you can trace back kind of the religions of these two. Edom identifies more so with Islam later, and uh, uh, Israel, uh, Jacob, uh, the founder of Israel, the Israelites, they identify with God Yahweh, which the Messiah is Jesus. So you have Christianity, Judaism with Jacob, and then you have Esau, Islam. Hasn't there been tension for a very long time in those groups? I mean, Jerusalem, the Middle East, it's always in the headlines in today's times, and there's national conflicts all the time. And perhaps you remember um, uh, under Donald Trump's presidency, they signed the Abrahamic uh, Peace Accord, and then there's these different nations that ally to protect Israel. The United States has always been trying to protect Israel. Like, why? Well, I think there's many within the American uh, uh, leadership that have a conscience, a biblical conscience, that Israel has a kind of an important role in the future of our world. And even though uh, there are many would identify as uh, Christians, meaning they love Jesus as the Messiah, many of the folks in Israel are Jewish, meaning they uh, Jewish in their identity, and they are uh, Ju- uh, adhere to Judaism, and they're awaiting the Messiah. Um, but still, in the conscience of American minds is a Judean Christian mindset in much regard. But you and I know there's been tensions in radical Islam and Christianity for a very, very long time. Here's, here's what I want to tell you, is that your faith is historical. This is not in a galaxy far, far away. This is not mythical information about a fancy tale or legend. What I'm going to show you is just, it is history. So let me, how many of you guys seen Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? Yeah. So there's this one little uh, scene. Well, I don't know how long the scene is, but it's a scene where they, they, they go into this uh, kind of rock formation city. And literally the city is called Petra. It means rock. And it's actually the place in which the Edomites lived once upon a time. Not in a galaxy far, far away, but uh, just about uh, the, the location of that, lo- of that uh, ancient city was about 50 miles south of the Dead Sea, 170 miles just southwest of modern Amon, Jordan. In fact, my sister and uh, my brother-in-law visited there. This is the location where the Edomites lived. Watch, look at this picture. So this is a picture of, uh, of Edom, and uh, that structure probably was built later, uh, but they lived in the mountains. This is a, a warring nation that fought against Israel in our scriptures, and God has something to say about these folks. Um, and we're going to learn that uh, today. I'll show you another picture. There's uh, my sister and uh, her husband. Uh, they rode in on a camel. So you could go there today. You could go to Petra which is uh, the, the, the location in which the Edomites uh, 
gathered. In their day, there was 20 to 30,000 folks that perhaps were there. It was a very prosperous nation, a powerful nation. Part of their success is because they just had such a great position. You know, in uh, Arizona, you think of uh, geographic areas that had military conquests like Cochise Stronghold or perhaps uh, different places in, 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 uh, on, in American soil is that you think of, of just great battlefields or locations because of the, the, the geographical location. The Edomites are from that location. And uh, Obadiah is a prophet who prophesies. And so we'll read about these guys. But what you see in the movies and you see in these places, it should remind you like, oh my goodness, my faith has historicity to it. That's a great little fancy word for meaning it's historical. It's not new. Like that's why Christianity, that's why um, Judaism is a very, very large religion is because the historicity of the faith is so powerful, so strong, so clear. And so um, that building that you saw was the treasury building. Um, It's where uh, the Egyptians would put their treasures and so the Edomites uh, and many other civilizations have moved in there over, the t- over time, um, but now that place is just a ghost town. The only thing you could find there is just tourists. And so here's what we're going to see. We're going to jump into the vision of Obadiah, and I'm going to read through uh, the chapter, and, and we'll just jump right in. So in verse 1, chapter 1, because there's only one chapter, it says this, the vision of Obadiah. Edom's going to be humbled, starting in, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Anytime a prophet said, thus saith the Lord, it means literally, if he's wrong, he's going to be killed. Like that was the command. It was, there's no prophets like Obadiah today. He says, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Edom are the bad guys. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. In other words, you're going down. Verse 3, why? The answer is, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You 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 who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagles, uh, though your nest is among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If the Lord says he's going to bring you down, that's not good. And God's working in a powerful way in this dispensation of time, if you will, to do major signs and wonders like perhaps never seen before. I mean, you can remember uh, with the showdown, the the supernatural realm with Moses and Pharaoh. I mean, incredible, uh, spectacular things. And so there is a a consciousness that the Edomites are actually distant cousins of the Israelites. This ought to spook them a little bit. Obadiah is probably a well-known prophet. People know that when he speaks, it's kind of serious stuff. Um, And so verse 5, he says, If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, that is the Edomites, uh, has been pillaged, his treasures sought out, and your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. 
It's really interesting because uh, in history shows us is that they had allies with Babylon and Babylon hated Israel and Edom made an ally with Babylon, the powerful uh, uh, empire of Babylon, and later Babylon turns on them. So this is a prophecy before it happens and he's telling them like, hey, guess what, Edom, your allies are going to turn on you. So then we go on and it says, they have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. In other, why, in other words, they're blinded with pride. I think every nation in the world has an expiration date. They have a start date and an ending date. And Obadiah is warning them that they've been so out of line, so, so turning their backs on God's purpose and plans All the believers have, in a sense, shifted their allegiance. They're now pagan worshipers, and they're in big trouble. Verse 8, he says, Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Eden, and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Verse 10, Why? Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On that day you stood aloof. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners into his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. In other words, what was happening is the Edomites and the Israelites, they were supposed to be be like family, and they were family through Jacob and Esau. It'd be like this in the Civil War times. You had families fighting against families. And you think like, hey, like we're family. We shouldn't fight. Well, when Israel comes under attack by Babylon, Edomites, they should have responded and said, this is our family. We fight with our family. But instead they say, forget them. They turn their backs on them. And so God has something to say about that and says, that's not good at all. He says, you just stood there and you stood aloof. You were doing nothing. And then verse 12, he says, but do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. That brother is linking back to Jacob. He's saying to Edom and and saying, do not uh, gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in that day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads crossroads to cut off his, his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Again, there's kind of like traitors going on here. There's The Edomites have got family within the Israelite community, and perhaps the Israelites are trying to seek refuge with some of the Edomites to say, hey, take me in. Babylon's crushing our city. We need help. And they say, sure, come on in. The next thing you know, they deport them and they connect them to Babylon and put them into prison. And so they're traitors. And so here's what happens. Verse 15, this is not just a lesson for the nation of Israel. It's a a lesson for every nation. It's not a lesson just for Israel or Edom. It's a lesson for every nation. Verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. So the prophet has the uh, particular uh, advantage to be able to say things that are going to be timeless, that are going to make sense perhaps even more as more time passes by. He says, for the day of the Lord, that's a day of judgment, is near upon all the nations. And watch this, verse 15, 
as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. There's a kind of a, you've heard of the law of karma, perhaps, and you know the law of karma maybe is like, hey, if you do something bad, then something bad's coming back to you. Or if you do something good, then something good's coming back to you. Well, the Bible, the biblical truth, St. Augustine said that all truth is God's truth. The law of karma came from what's called the law of the harvest. And the law of the harvest is what's written there in verse 15. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. In other words, you do something against somebody and you sow a life of of, uh, distress and discord and destruction, you will get destruction. If you sow a life that's uh, uh, fighting and and factions, you're going to get a life repaid back to you of life of frustration and factions. Verse 16, for as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. That Mount Zion is Jerusalem. Those who escape and it it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. That's a promise for the future nation of Israel. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. Uh, That means they'll have power and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau, Edom, stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and they shall be no, there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. What's really interesting is that Babylon goes in and wipes out Edom. That's exactly what happened. So the Bible again and again tells us the truth, not only uh, uh, in practical living, but in historical understanding of, of what happened. So what, do I, what I want you to learn today is about this law of the harvest that I mentioned earlier. And it means this, is, as, and the practicality is whatever we reap is what we sow. So whatever's growing out of your life is a result of whatever you've been sowing. This is what was a very powerful lesson for the Edomites. They were sowing uh, death and destruction. They're going to get death and destruction. They're going to turn their backs on God and do it their way. They're going to get the natural consequences of turning their backs on God and doing it their way. Um, It's a biblical concept. Even Jesus said it in his greatest sermon on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. He says, in essence, to the same measure that you judge others, you will be judged. Whatever measure you measure others against, you will be measured. It's this idea that also the Apostle Paul talked about in Galatians, and he said basically, if you sow and you invest your life spiritually, you're going to reap spiritual rewards. If you invest your life in your own flesh and your uh, selfishness, you're going to re- you're going to reap the uh, the the fruits of the flesh, if you will, the deeds of the flesh which are envy, pride, arrogance, uh, uh, all these kinds of things. And then the fruit of the Spirit, what is that? It's love, peace, patience, uh, gentleness, self-control, those kinds of things. And so the lesson is for you and me is that we reap what we sow. If you want a great marriage and you have, or you have a great marriage, it's because you've been sowing into that marriage. You've been investing into that marriage. If you have a great business, it's most likely because you, you, you've been working at it. You've been investing your time and you've been cultivating it. And you, you've been seeing what the importance of what you need to do. And you're investing that, that time and that, and that talent and that treasure into that. Um, 
we reap what we sow. So uh, for the farmer, when, when he is um, gathering all the fruit out of his fields or the produce, he planted it. And there's a law in that, that whatever we invest into, that's going to be the outcome of that. Now, is there room for a wild card as a Christian? Absolutely. You can spend your life, waste your life, living like a fool, acting a fool, wasting all your money, doing the wrong things, living a licentious lifestyle, and you're natural consequences should be you're going to jail, you don't have a good relationships, you're blowing all your money, you're in debt, you're addicted to everything, you're a slave to everything. Those are the natural consequences, but then God can show up and he can change everything. But this idea of the law of the harvest is just the natural effect. It's like if you, if you want a, a dysfunctional marriage, then just keep lying and cheating and you're going to get what you put into it. If you want a great marriage, you be honest. You learn repentance. You, you learn how to deal with conflict. You, you invest into that. You want a great business, then you invest your time and you learn and, and you do what you can. If you want a great spiritual life, seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added unto you. You've got to put a priority there. And so the Christian life is like a farmer. And what we invest into it oftentimes is what we're going to get out of it doesn't mean that we work for our salvation. It just means that the process of growing in holiness is so much dependent upon what we do with our time and what, how we live our life. So a second law of the harvest is this, is that we reap in a different season than we sow. We reap in a different season than we sow. So many times um, we're going to if we can all think about times when we've really been successful or, or really found fruit in our labors, you look back and you realize it took a long time. As I think about North Valley Community Church and the ministry investment, we started eight years ago our first Sunday morning service. But before that eight years or so, there was almost two years of being on the ground in Phoenix trying to get the rest of the team or staff team to get into the city and get acclimated. So that's like 10 years. So that's two years of groundwork. But if I told you, guess what? For three years before that, I was working on a network of people that would financially partner with us to even get out here. So now you're looking at five years before the church even opened its doors of the groundwork. And then we started. So what happens in today's culture, because we're such an instant gratification, we think everything should happen so fast. We, we need to remember this reality that we reap in a different season than we sow. So if your marriage is tough, just start sowing good things into that marriage. It'll get better. Um, if your business is bad, we'll start investing now the right kind of things that are going to make it better and helpful, and it'll get better. If you're struggling in your spiritual life, well, start sowing more things into God's uh, uh, spiritual realm of saying, I want to live and I want to serve you. I want to, I want to pray, Lord, more. I want to read God's word. And in and through that, God's going to speak to you. God's going to minister to you. And you will grow more and more. Bible says is that when we're filled up with the Spirit of God, that the fruit comes out. The love, the peace, the patience, the goodness, the gentleness, self-control, all those things. And so we reap in a different season than we sow. It reminds me of a story um, with Pastor Ellis 
Pastor Ellis uh, was telling me the story of his uh, ministering to his father-in-law. Uh, he, uh, um, he, he was not a believer, and, and Ellis was ministering to him for, for months and months, if not years, uh, about uh, just his faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, he said, on one day, I had the opportunity just, just a little bit, a few weeks uh, uh, before uh, Baptism Sunday here at North Valley. This is a couple years ago. And he said, I had him in the car, and I could share with him my testimony, share with him about Jesus. There's been a lot of groundwork that had already been laid, but I had the opportunity to have him in the car, and he wasn't going anywhere. Now, he had him trapped in the car, and he shared his testimony with him, and he shared with him about Jesus. And through that car ride was the culmination of a lot of sowing, a lot of prayer, a lot of things that were going on. And in that car ride, he made a decision and said, you know what? I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. And then at 92 years old, we had the privilege to baptize that man in this church. Let me show you a picture of it. He was the oldest guy. Yeah, he was the oldest guy we've ever baptized in this church. And I told Pastor Ellis, I was like, we got to be careful, you know? Um, What's sad but sweet is that James Gaines uh, went home to be with the Lord this last Tuesday. At 94 years old. But it was never too late. And I wonder how many seeds were sown into that man's life before we got to see the fruit. The Apostle Paul says it like this one person waters, the next person throws seed down, and then, but God makes it grow. And so you never know. You, 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 we got to be sowers. We got to constantly be investing ourselves into environments to see that we can grow and help others grow. And Pastor Ellis did that. He had to realize this law of the harvest that you just reap in a different season than you sow. You can't get instant growth. That doesn't happen like that. The only thing that's instantaneous, I would say, in the Christian life is the conversion moment. The moment you surrender to Jesus Christ and God predestined, planned it, and purposed it, however you want to look at it, you made a decision, God made the decision, your life is being changed instantaneously. You are now declared a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You've been declared right. You're justified. And now you're on a pathway for sanctification. And it's the spiritual life. That thing takes a lot of time and growth. It takes a lot of energy for you to apply yourselves to grow in the Christian life. Um, And so we reap in a different season than we sow. And that applies to all parts of the Christian life. James, the apostle, half-brother of Jesus, basically likened the Christian life to a farmer. You need to see your faith as like a farmer, like you are a farmer. You, you invest your life and time, your talent, your treasure into people, into things, and it takes time to grow. And here's what most people miss, listen to me, is most people miss the reality that most of our life is in between. We planted and we're waiting for the harvest. That's why the Apostle Paul says to the church in Galatia, he says, do not grow weary in doing good for in proper time. If you don't give up, you'll reap a harvest. And so for you and me, that can be the, 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 the place of despair and discouragement if we don't saturate the, the thinking with Scripture. We can say, well, I've been laboring at this for a little bit and there's no, there's no response, there's no reward. 
the person's not responding the way I want them to. I'm not growing the way I'd hoped I would. The relationship's not working. The business isn't working. I'm not getting there. Well, what did the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us this law of the harvest is that we're going to reap in a different season than we sow. So the farmer knows if he plants beans, he's not going to get beans that season. He's going to get them the next season. It takes time. That is the Christian life. It, it takes time. You and me are like farmers. We've got to be patient. And that's why perhaps in the psalm says, be patient, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. And then, and then in the proper time, he'll bring a harvest. So three questions I want to leave you with is number one uh, is about what I'm sowing is, are you sowing pride or are you sowing humility? And I picked pride because uh, the Edomites, they, they sowed pride. Their consequences for their actions was pride. Perhaps in American church today, uh, this is our sin against God, pride. Perhaps uh, the reason our nation could fall like any other nation could fall is pride. Uh, This uh, scripture that we read in Obadiah is not just for one nation, the Edomites, it's for every nation, all nations. That's what the scripture told us. The greatest downfall that you and I could have is pride. Who, who are prideful people? Prideful people are usually successful people. Doesn't matter. You're successful in your marriage. You're successful in your ministry, successful in your business, successful with your kids. You can easily be prideful. Successful financially. Why? Because you're doing a good job. And is there wrong? Is it wrong to be prideful at some level? Is it wrong to have pride? No. But you and I know there's a healthy pride and an unhealthy pride. The unhealthy pride is what the Edomites had, and that's why the judgment was against them. But let me give you a definition of pride. Pride is just thinking of yourself too much. It's when you get into conversation with somebody and all they can talk about is themselves, and you're kind of irritated by it. You're like, do you talk about anybody else besides yourself? Because you're wearing me out. The refreshing people, right? You enter into a conversation, they're talking about you. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? Those are the people that are humble people. It is, we by default won't be humble people. <laughs> we by default will be prideful people. We'll find an area to be so proud of. And, and not all pride is wrong. Remember, like a pride of like, man, I'm proud of my work. I've been doing a great job. My boss is proud of me or my family. I'm proud of my marriage. It's, we've been working hard at it. That's not, it's just thinking too much of yourself or thinking of yourself too much is the kind of pride that's in very, very, very dangerous. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what is humble? Uh, by humility, I mean, it's not thinking too much of yourself or too little of yourself. It's as Romans says in Romans 12, three, it's, it's sober judgment. It's like you have a good grasp of who you are. You're not, uh, we are, and the Bible says we're servants. We're not kings and queens. We're servants. And humility is what brings God's blessing into our life. So my question is, what do you sow? You sow pride when you hang out with prideful, arrogant people. You sow pride when all you do is spend things, money and time and energy on yourself and nobody else. You sow pride when all you do is talk about yourself. You sow pride when you sit and you think yourself is number one Everybody else, number two, and maybe God's number three. Like, that's just prideful. 
This is the fall of Lucifer, why he, was, he took a rebellion out of uh, heaven with a, a legion of angels. This is what you see with Adam and his uh, revolt and rebellion with Eve. Again, the very beginning is pride. It's the mother sin. It's the sin above all other sins is pride. It's, and so it's thinking too much of yourself. So I don't want you to think too low of yourself and think that you're just a nobody and you're a loser. But humility is not thinking too less of yourself and not too much. It's just a healthy balance. So are you sowing pride or are you sowing humility? How do you sow humility? I think you ask others, how are you doing? How's it going for you? You're giving your life away. If you looked at your checkbook, it's not all you. There's a track record of your life is being invested towards others, towards God. What about indifference or compassion. Obadiah uh, gives a, a, a judgment towards Edom because they were indifferent. When Babylon came sweeping in and started to crush Jerusalem, the Israelites began to flood. The Edomites just stood by. They didn't do anything. They didn't protect them. They didn't protect the women and the children. They took advantage of them. They exploited them. I think one of the greatest challenges in our culture right now, specifically in the American church, and even here at North Valley, is this attitude of indifference. Eh, somebody else can do that. I've been, I need to sit. I'm busy. I can't, I, I, I don't have time. I've told you this church has done a great job, I'd say overall, in the area of giving. I, I'm very proud as a founding pastor, the lead pastor of this church. I think the church has done really well in the area of giving. And I think it's because we teach on it, and I think it's because um, we live in, in, in a demographic that has enough discretionary income that they can give, and you guys, even in the lack of your discretionary income, you, you want to give, and that's really admirable. The area that we need to improve in is in, in the area of service. And that's what, the, that's what the Christian life is all about. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but what? To serve. The other area I challenge you as a church is you're giving your witness. Speak up. Talk about Jesus more. I don't want to lead this church for the next 10 years. I get job offers almost all the time, by the way. And I don't, I'm just not interested in them because I love this church. Um, but I would say this, I would be sick to my stomach if we became like one of those churches down the road or somewhere else that they got lots of money, they pay everybody to do everything, the church is disengaged, it's a consumer-based mentality of Christianity, it's, the, it's a country club, it's not a partnership. Like We need to be a vibrant church as Christians in this day and time that says, I'm giving my life away. And we see that on larger scales over the next 10 years in the area of giving your witness. And, I, and that takes time. If you start sharing your witness, I'll start seeing more people that are far from God here. They'll come to faith in Christ. They'll be baptized. And that takes time. But serving, that could happen next week. You could jump in and start serving. So this attitude of indifference or compassion, what are you sowing? What is indifference? Indifference is just choosing to ignore the needs that are right around you. What is compassion? Compassion is choosing to help those that God puts right in your pathway. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. It's helping the person right along the path that you're at. It's slowing down. I like to call it ministry in the moment. That was the whole style of Jesus' ministry. Like you read in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse all the way to 7, 
I know you ladies are in a Bible study learning that right now, but if you look at the tail end of that, Jesus has been doing powerful crowd ministry, preaching to crowds, and then all of a sudden Peter shows up and he's like, hey, my mom and my mother-in-law is sick. Can you come over? Like, he got a powerful crowd, but he, he says, sure, and he goes and he heals his, Peter's mother-in-law. And, and so y- there's ministry in the moment, that's compassion, that's slowing down. Maybe Mexico would be that step for you. Maybe serving at North Valley would be that step. Maybe it's slowing down to the annoying person at your workplace and trying to ask questions. I'm sorry I've, I've dismissed you in times past. Talk to me about how your life's doing. How can I pray for you? That's compassion. Um, the last one is just greed or generosity. Uh, Obadiah highlights this, that they, the, what happened with the Edomites is that as soon as they saw that the Israelites were being plundered by the Babylon, the Edomites basically just are opportunists. They're the looters. They just, they move into the city. We see looting and riots and, uh, on news. Well, this is what was happening then. Uh, Babylon moves in, is conquering Jerusalem. The Edomites are family members, and they see the Israelites running for cover, and they say, let's move in and steal their wealth. Let's go ahead and rob them blind. And it's greed. And I don't know what you're sowing, if you're sowing greed or generosity, but it'll show up in your life, and it'll come back to bite you, or it'll come back to bless you, one of the two. If you invest your life in greedy activity, where it's all about you, spending more on you, giving... Uh, uh, your life is, is all revolves around you, then what you're going to get is a very distant relationship with God, a very dysfunctional lifestyle, a very dampened Christian experience. But if you live a life of generosity, the Bible echoes and affirms and promises blessing. I mean, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the Apostle Paul said, whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Whoever uh, sows generously will reap generously. And this is why the health, wealth, gospel movement took roots and has a very powerful influence all around the world because they take that little truth and they try to make it a guaranteed promise that God's going to do far more than the scripture says that if you give 10 bucks, what's coming back to you is 100 bucks. It's like they promise that and they're preying upon the weak and the vulnerable and the poor. And that's a a, a horrendous gospel message. But is there principle and precedence for the idea that if you give financially and serve God, that there's going to be blessing to return? Absolutely there is. Read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 and the rest of scriptures uh, affirms that idea. There is this law of the harvest. What are you sowing, greed or generosity? So here's what I challenge you to do is just as this, is just to try it out. Try, 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 try to sow whatever you want to reap. Do you want more generosity in your life? Then sow generosity. Do you want more compassion in your life? Sow more compassion. You can kickstart spiritual health in your life. Do you want more humility? Start sowing into humility more. That means opening up your mouth and saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. These kinds of things. Uh, And not talking about yourself so much. Uh, Philippians tells us that uh, consider others more significant than ourselves. So I want you to try it out on Monday, tomorrow. You get a day to think about it today on Sunday. Maybe ask somebody you love around me, hey, where do you think I need to sow? more of uh, God's goodness into my life. And, and that person will probably tell you, oh, you need to sow a lot of humility. Or you hear this, you need to sow some generosity. 
And it's really sweet in a, in a, in a relationship like I have with my wife is there, there, was a big, there was some big issues of, you know, hey, you need to sow a little bit more humility or you need to sow more compassion or you need to sow more generosity. And that's a sanctifying, strengthening moment. And that helps us to grow. Other, uh, the Bible says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Well, God can use that in the lives of ladies too, and, and that applies to you as well. But you need people to help you to see areas that you need to grow in. And you have some control in what's going on in your life. So that's that. Um, I'm excited to, to see how God's going to use this message in your life as he has in my life already. Before I close out, I need to give you a church update about a few things and then I'll be done. Um, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you uh, for getting us through in a partnership at this church through 2020. Um, it was a very, very tough year. Our elder team, our uh, leadership team sat down last week and we reviewed all of the financials for 2020. I got good news to report. We ended the year strong. Uh, we spent less uh, than we planned and uh, we received a little more in total givings and offerings than we expected. So great job. We did that together. Let's celebrate that. Um, additionally, I just want to say as, uh, as well, I, in December, I challenge you guys to go above and beyond and help us reach that uh, $100,000 matching gift, which was a total miracle. A guy from outside of our community knew that that property was uh, uh, in jeopardy, the north property where it's fenced off, and said that he wanted to help uh, in, ensure that the church had that as a future position. And I said, great, that was a million dollars. Um, we're short. Uh, we have land bankers at about uh, 800000 uh, we're short 200000 And he said, great, uh, just a miracle. I'm going to give you that money, uh, but I need it to be matched. And you guys rose to the occasion. You matched it. So great job. We met our matching goal in December. So all that means to me is that you and I just have a greater responsibility. Obviously, God wants this church to move if he's going to raise up some random guy out of the community to come help our church buy land that he doesn't even intend to. That just means it's God. That's all that means, and it means you better listen. It's very important, and I better listen. We've got a responsibility here. And then uh, some more good news and uh, is that uh, our staff team, Kaylee, is the next generation uh, 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 youth worker in our team. She's a wonderful lady, married to Joshua, a fantastic lady. She was licensed to minister, so now she's a minister, a licensed minister in our church. We're excited about that. And then uh, Brian is now Pastor Brian. So he was ordained as a pastor last week. So we're excited about that. You can clap. There you go. And uh, last but not least, and sad but sweet in some realm, is Pastor Ellis is transitioning on and moving into another area of ministry. Um, He will be a part of the church. Uh, He loves this church. He and his wife love this church. Um, but Pastor Ellis has a calling on his life to be a chaplain on behalf of the church. And so uh, he is in his master's program, and we just learned this, you, you, whatever, you reap what you sow. What does he need to sow? Time and energy into education. He's going to get his master's degree, finish that up in chaplaincy. He's going to be a chaplain to the Phoenix PD, to the hospitals, to the firefighters, to the first responders. And he's going to do it in the name of Jesus under the umbrella of North Valley Community Church. So let's celebrate him just for a moment. Will you stand up for me real quick? Let's thank him again. He's an incredible man.
So he's going to be around uh, uh, continuing his role in guest services and overseeing the campus and facilities, but here's the catch. We're in trouble without you. We weren't planning on this transition. It, It just needed to happen. So here's what I need you to do. If you're not serving, you've got to start serving. Text in uh, VSERV to 94090. There's no way this church is going to move forward effectively in the first quarter. Uh, and it could be disastrous if we don't, as a church, come together. I said it last week, partnership, not customer. Not, not, it's, not, it's not a country club deal. We're a partnership. We're a family together. And so I want to challenge you, just say, hey, I'll jump in, I'll serve. This transition is critical. Leslie's going to be helping out with the third service, guest services, along with our volunteers. Kaylee's jumping in for an interim to cover the first and the second service. Um, we're working on our facility staffing, but we are, we literally, we need to honor God's calling on his life and commission him to go at the end of the month, uh, the end of February. And we need to have an interim team set like in the next 14 days, and then we've got to figure out how to bring on some more staff. So I ask, you are the church. This is your church. I'm just the, the guy who God's called to help start it, and one life, one church, that's our vision for my wife and I, and we're going to be here, and, but we need to come together if we want to help this church move forward. For the name and fame of Jesus, amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for North Valley. I pray God special blessing on everybody here today, and especially as they begin to invest into things that matter the most. Lord, I pray for generosity to overwhelm them, and Lord, that you would be generous back to them. Father, I pray for compassion, that they would live out and be compassionate people, and God, as a result, experience your great compassion upon their lives. And Father, I pray that just in every area of their life, would you enrich them in every way so that we could continue to share and show the love of Christ and experience all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.